Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of All Autism Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Learn Behavioral Network, a leading provider in ABA services all across the country. I'm your host, Richie Plush. I'm excited this week because I had a chance to sit down with Dan McManman, who is president of the College Internship Program. So often we talk about early intervention and all that's necessary uh, with supporting our young learners, but we don't always get an opportunity to talk about transition age programs and how we can support students from high school into adulthood. And so it's great for us to have the opportunity to highlight one successful program and how they're meeting the needs of students in that age group. Dan McManman is the president of College Internship Program, also known as CIP, one of the world's most comprehensive transition programs for young adults on the autism spectrum and with learning differences. CIP operates full year and summer programs at five centers across the nation, offering specialized programs and services to help students pursue higher education, employment, and independent, independent living in a safe, supportive, and inclusive environment. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dan McMahon. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for joining us this week. It's great to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. So you're the president of the College Internship Internship Program, also known as CIP. Can you tell us a little bit about that program? Yeah, so we've been around for 35 years now since 1984 and originated out of Massachusetts in the Berkshires. Um, we What we do primarily is we have year-round transition programs for young adults 18 to 26 years of age and we're an alternative to what might be um, the traditional college experience for a more typical student um, but we also incorporate career services social skills very specialized services specific to those with autism and learning differences that's amazing i think that 18 to 26 year old age group is is a it has such a need for additional services and additional options, right? I mean, I think, can you tell us a little bit about some of the programs that you offer? Sure. So what we realized a long time ago is that there really wasn't, at the point when we had started, there wasn't options out there that specifically met the these types of students' needs. So over time, more and more options have come about. There's college campus-based programs, and you know, there's employment-focused programs. There's really more and more, which is awesome and amazing and much needed. What we aim to do is to provide all these services under one roof and then individualize based on, on the individual's needs. So often we're having uh, students with 20 to 30 hours of support on a weekly basis with a range of services, you know, taking into account their individual goals and passions and dreams and then we're facilitating an array of services to help them be successful over time and to experience you know, adult age experiences much like everyone else, but to process that, to generalize those skills and to make those into more productive routines that can lead to a more happy and fulfilling long-term life. With that too, we're working with the families pretty closely because we have recognized that those families have had to do quite a bit for their students over time. And um, it's important for these students to, to break the, the dependence and to figure out for themselves where they wanna go and how they're gonna get there. But 
to utilize, you know, a team of, of experts and a team of friends and mentors um, that they would have in a program like CIP. So important that independent piece after our, you know so many of our students go through middle school and high school and they're dependent on all the adults around them and then they age out of you know education systems or transition age systems and then there's not a lot for them so what a great what a great way for you to bridge that gap um, between you know being reliant on a bunch of adults sort of in high school and sort of being on your own and kind of being in charge of your own day-to-day -day. Um, that's great so you guys have a residential program is that right yeah, so uh, we I like to call it a supported apartment living um, environment. So our students are living in managed apartments, but they're often, um, depending on which program location, we are located from Massachusetts through Florida, Indiana, and California. Um, each is slightly different, but within a shared household type of environment. So every student has their own bedroom, and they have shared living spaces and they uh, cohabitate together, learning to manage with roommates, learning to grocery shop, to cook, to clean, you know, learning all the, the uh, written and unwritten roommate rules together. And we provide those types of services and supports um, to help them, you know, again, a lot of what our students need are the independent living skills and generalizing those skills in real life settings. So they're in with other people in the community. Um, we have overnight on-call support, but we don't have live-in staff. So um, students do need to have a level of independence, semi-independent uh, living structure to manage effectively and safely in that type of environment. So we're facilitating that and helping students gain more and more skills and taper those services and supports to focus on a little bit higher level competencies as they grow and develop within their time with CIP. So can you describe for us like a, a typical week for individuals in this program? Sure. Um, so on a weekly basis, typically a Monday through Friday basis, we schedule much like a work week for students. So they would come into our center, um, usually within walking distance from their apartment. Um, there's scheduled group and individual modules focused on things like social skills. We, we teach peers for young adults. Um, there's banking and budgeting. There's um, academic support, employment readiness modules. So they would have an array of services um, with some downtime during the day on a Monday through Friday basis. They may also be attending a, a college uh, locally. So they may have college courses mixed in there. And often they're participating in some sort of employment experience, whether it's volunteering or internship opportunities. Into the evenings, there's life skills support. So there would be support depending on the student's needs for those things like cooking and cleaning and grocery shopping and apartment maintenance. And then a lot of the weekend time is structured social activities, again, to practice those skills and to get out and have a certain level of fun and leisure and um, community involvement. So, so that's a typical flow. It's about 43 weeks in total over the course of a year um, as students sign up for. That's so amazing. I mean, the array of topics you're covering. I'm thinking like, man, I wish I had a banking and budgeting class <laughs> when I was out of high school. That would have helped me a lot. Um, no, I, I just think it's fantastic that there's 
such a, uh, a a breadth of topics and and really a depth into each one. I can imagine you really diving into some of those topics over the course of the forty three weeks. Yeah, the the challenge can be you know you want to make the program as accessible and um, close of a fit to each individual student. So the challenge is always to provide that level of service in, in that in-depth comprehensive manner. The approach is often difficult. And one of the solutions that we find that's sort of baked into CIP from the beginning is that you know you, you have to let the student derive their program. So we, we are very student-centered, uh, person-centered in the terms of having the student right when they come in sit down and help develop a vision of where they want to be in five or ten years and backwards plan and really teach them to to take ownership and control of their lives so the way that we also frame this for students is that there's a continuum of growth and many times that the students come in to cip they're focused on the self-understanding self-awareness um, they're really looking at, you know, accepting themselves and moving forward in their lives and the community is really uh, accommodating for that. Uh, you have a critical mass of people moving in a positive direction with similar interests and, and likes and things like that. So we're trying to move them through that, that process step by step down to the point of being more self-determined, meaning that they have a level of choice in their lives. They've generalized skills. They have tools and strategies for overcoming difficulties. They've gained a whole host of experiences with relationships, employers, you know, academics. There's a lot of failures in the mix and we act as a safety net and help pick them up. That's part of the learning experience. So it's a very organic experience. Um, but when the students are driving that and they're advocating for themselves, um, we're able to manage a more effective program than if we were to prescribe, you know, down and, and turn that around the other direction where we're just prescribing and teaching and they're just, you know, kind of static in their learning. Right. I want to dive into that a little bit if we can, that, that person-centered planning. So are, are individuals arriving to your program with a plan already in place or is that kind of part of their intake or onboarding process? You know, oftentimes, so our admissions process can be a little bit lengthy, um, but in the interview process, especially, we're really trying to understand what are the parent goals and the student goals, and you know what what experiences have they had, um, and overall, what are their needs. But you know, right when the student comes in during our orientation period, they sit down with staff and they start to have these discussions, and part of it is that they're able to develop relationships and you know, they start to disclose about, oh, I have a friend I go to often for support. And so they go through a person-centered planning process, which for us, we do visually um, in, you know, a PowerPoint software, basically. And they get to build a vision board of their future. They get to identify, you know, who who is the current support that they rely on, uh, their character values. And we, we meet with them many times through a two-week process to start that person-centered plan. And what they will do is they will design it, they will edit it, they will work on it. And um, basically staff really get to know students intimately in terms of 
what drives them and what they care about, and what they want to achieve. And that forms the basis for our program planning. So a couple months later, the cool part too, is that students will actually get up in front of their families and they'll present those plans. And often the families are a little bit taken back and sometimes teary because this is the first time they've really seen their son or daughter or student um, kind of take the lead in their lives. And, you know, even if it's off base, it's the point is it doesn't matter. It's that they are taking accountability and uh, ownership. So as they go through, usually a student stays two to three years with us. Um, as they have these experiences and build more identity, um, they pick paths and they start to define what, what it is that they really want to do. And they get more involved in college and career side of things. And by the time that they're done, they're usually pretty well on a path toward, um, you know, finishing a degree or, you know, entering the world of work in an area that they have determined is productive for them. I imagine that that is a very emotionally charged moment, right? When, when families are hearing from their sons and daughters who have been away for, you know, X amount of time, possibly for the first time ever, they've been away from, you know, being in their parents' home. And now they're, now they're able to present like, this is my plan. This is what I want. This is what my goals are for my future. I mean, that, that like, I'm trying to see it from the parent perspective. And that emotion is really like a powerful one, you know, seeing, seeing your son or daughter have the ability to make the choice and, and then get the skills to run with that choice. That's fantastic. Yeah. And when we try to coach the families to look at that as, you know, as exactly that and not, you know, uh, unrealistic goals or other things, because the point is empowering the, you know, the young adult to take ownership when everyone talks about, you know, parents aren't around forever and what, what does the individual do? Right. So, you know, it's the beginning of their journey and their path. Um, it's not always a beautiful moment. Sometimes it can cause conflicts, you know, if it's very different or if, if it triggers something for the family that they feel like is not, a, uh, you know, in line with, with their goals, but it's all important to go through. And, um, you know, that's just, that's step one to the process here. So we work very closely with families. We work very closely with everybody and our team itself is a interdisciplinary team. So everyone shares responsibility for the student to be successful uh, in a small setting like this. And that's kind of what differentiates transition programs, which is an, an area that obviously of what we fall within is transition programs as opposed to other types of programs. But the personal nature of a program like this, where there are strong relationships, there's good communication, there's shared responsibility, but then there's also defined accountability in terms of, you know, expertise in, in certain key areas. Uh, if a student fully takes advantage of what they have it's like having, you know, a team of personal advisors in your life that are going to help you get to where you want to go. So all you really need to do is, is step up to the plate and participate. You said a few things there that I want to dive into more. And I want to start with a little bit about the multidisciplinary team. Can you tell us a little bit about the professionals you have on that team and, <clears throat> excuse me, sort of their involvement in, in each of the individuals in your program? Sure. Um, so we have a variety of, of, we call them, you know, like service functions within CIP. 
advising, health and wellness, clinical, academic, career, social skills, life skills. There's areas you know, that our students commonly need that are more global, like social skills and executive functioning uh, skills and strategies. And those are kind of foundational and they, they do cut through everything. Um, so innately you have this need for everybody to be sharing a lot of information and to be um, coordinating, but in an, in an adult-like manner, right? You don't wanna just be sharing, oversharing information Right. Um, so, so we've developed ways in which you know staff meet every two weeks to discuss um, every student in depth, and there's a formula to that that identifies you know this is the challenge in this area um, that we're working on. This is you know some of the barriers to that, and this is what how we're moving through that. And the student meets weekly with their advisor, who's somewhat of a case manager who works with them on their personal goals for the week and also talks about their performance. So they self-assess, how did you do this week? You know, let's look at your attendance and let's look at um, some of the things that came up this week. And, you know, we track that and we measure that and we give recognition in those, um, those moments as well. So there's a feedback mechanism, there's uh, good communication, there's oversight over, you know, what, is most priority for that student and the students obviously involved. Um, and then on a term by term basis, which is, you know, for us about three times a year, there are uh, formal times where we're connecting with the family and they're able to discuss directly with staff, the student's progress, the family's progress, um, and there's progress reporting to that. So the team, the team of people who work at CIP are the drivers for all of this. And, you know, in the work that we do, obviously it's very common that you find people who are super passionate about doing the work. Um, there's never really a lack of that, um, of who gets involved. The challenge is often, how do you bring people together and structure and organize a program like this so that it's really effective and doesn't um, waver too much from the, the core mission at hand when you're bringing all this together. So we spend a lot of time on that on a regular basis. Um, and we've developed, you know, ways in which that we have de defined each of these um, service areas so that we talk about what we do and what we don't do. And we talk about the core processes and the concepts that drive them. And there's a lot of information sharing across the board. Uh, even all of our staff on a monthly basis from all five of our centers, we have monthly in-services where we're um, sharing training materials and development opportunities together. That's so great. I, I think the, the feedback loop in particular is something that is so important for so many of our, so many of our clients and, and, and as they move into adult life, they have to be able to do that self-assessment that you're talking about and being able to say, man, I was in this grocery store and I was too loud or I was, you know, I didn't budget the right way or, you know, we've all been in that situation where it's like, man, I've got to, I've got to figure out X, Y, or Z and I didn't plan my time appropriately or things like that. But, you know, for them to be able to learn to do the self-assessment, that, that means that all those opportunities in the future are going to be learning opportunities, not just the ones where they're getting your, your team's guidance and care and things like that. They're going to be able to learn forever from those. Exactly. And, and it can too easily go down to like an anxious and depressed avenue when you don't fit in the world and you feel right. like you're not 
you know, operating like everybody else. Um, so, so another example to the assessment piece that's pretty simple but important is, you know, we we do reframing classes and we do them pretty early in the morning, uh, which students often hate. But the reality is, is that they find a lot of benefit long term because, you know, most of the world of work still has a nine to five type of situation. But what they do is it's more of a, um, a sensory assessment, you know, from are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? You have anxiety, fear, disorientation. And they, they will, uh, as a group, cover topics, you know, on a daily and weekly basis for self-development. But what they also do is they visually will track um, on a chart, you know, everyone just gets up and, and plugs in where they feel they are. And they can tell, recognize based on how they're feeling, you know, some of these, um, some of this feedback that they're providing to themselves essentially. So, you know, if you're hungry and you're angry and your levels are up on, on that and you're tired because you didn't sleep and maybe you didn't remember to take your medications that morning, that's why you're feeling completely disoriented and, and kind of out of whack. And that kind of more concrete feedback for a lot of individuals on the spectrum is very valuable because it's a simple tool to assess, you know, how am I feeling and why? And often that's not as, as simple as uh, simply managed, I would say, as uh, maybe neurotypicals have. Yeah. I think that check-in is great. I mean, I do that with my family, right? You know, Hey, hey guys, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep well last night. You know, forgive me if I'm a little extra grumpy today or things like that. We've got to be able to, you know, one recognize like you're you're describing multiple steps. The first one is recognizing it, and then the second one is being able to communicate that to friends, family, loved one, whoever is around you, so that so that they can know and you know help out if that if that's the case, uh, you know, or whatever it may be. I want to go back to you mentioned a few times um, families and family involvement. What's what's that look like for families from when when uh, when their sons or daughters decide to go to this program or how do they get them involved to this program to their ongoing involvement? I Sure. So families often are pursuing programs like this. Um, pretty, pretty much directly the family members are and the students, you know, we call our students students, but they're often signing off on it, right? They're, they have to be on board to come, but the families usually take the lead because the student may have experienced, you know, some situation that has led them down the path of, you know, we need to really consider something different. Like we tried college, it was unsuccessful, um, or we're not getting anywhere in, you know, my students sitting at home and it's not productive. So oftentimes the families are directly involved from the beginning and the students are sort of um, on the sidelines and they get more and more involved as we go through the admissions process. Um, but that's typically what's happening in many cases. Um, as the families come in, you know, they're assigned an advisor, they um, have the chance to meet all of the program staff during tours and the interview process. So they're getting familiarized. Um, the advisor is their main point of contact on an ongoing basis. So uh, they keep them updated. You know, if anything was to come up that was an issue, they have a regular time in which they connect. And what we do too often is we'll have the student involved in updating the family because, you know, it's like just a good practice where 
you keep everybody on the same page. And instead of, you know, having uh, multiple relationships, it's really just a, a transparent process to talk about performance. So, hey, we didn't do so well this, this week in these areas, or we did really well. Um, so that's an ongoing component of it. We do provide some parent education. Um, we do convocation award ceremonies. We have parent weekends. So we have physical, usually in-person um, events and activities to celebrate successes and to provide, you know, a level of parent education and awareness around what we do. Um, that's a big piece of it. And then we have content webinars and other things we're pushing to parents, but often the parents are really interested and engaged around, well, what, how is the program working? You know, they want to know that their, their student is getting what they want out of the program. Um, so they're pretty involved often in planning and we're continually taking feedback. And when issues come up, we're working usually hand in hand with families. Um, and we found that, you know, the education that that's out there this day and age, you know, 30 years ago, it wasn't at all, but this day and age, it's really about, all right, let's get hands on with this. So, so the families interact with us through the advisor most commonly, and, um, they do integrate with various staff and have opportunities to, to discuss with staff, but for the sake of communication and effective communication that advisor is usually that clearinghouse who can relay and get them the answers that they need. I think it's great that families get, you know, get information from their sons and daughters too, right? That's like the, the a public service announcement, make sure you call your mom, right? Like, I feel like, you know, calling your parents to give them updates, that's just a natural thing that people do, right? And so that's to be able to train and teach, you know, the clients in your program to go and do those things. That's, that's part of being, again, that, that independent piece. Exactly. And, and, you know, the parent child relationship often, you know, you call your parents maybe at that age for money and you might vent and say, Oh, my day was really hard. And, you know, right. so um, it, it helps provide well-rounded updates and helps kind of make sure that we're reinforcing, you know, that adult behavior from the student of, you know, make sure you're giving well-rounded updates. One of our uh, centers kind of coined this thing that they do too with families is they just shoot them a text here and there with these photos of the student, you know, in, in action. Uh, they call it proof of life because sometimes families are just so nervous and on edge that, you know, they just want to see, uh, you know, what is my student up to? And seeing the picture of them smiling with a friend is, you know, like a thousand words. So, yeah. Yeah. I imagine for some families that that has to be really challenging. You know, I, I think about the times, the key times in transition, you know, in, in sons and in our sons and daughters lives, you know, it's, it's the first time they leave the house to go into a preschool program or whatever it may be. And then it's when they start kindergarten and, and, you know, they're gone more of the day now. And then it's, you know, middle school and they're, they're gone for more and they have different teachers that they're responsible with. And, and then what you're describing is like a whole different level of now my son or daughter lives somewhere else. They're, you know, they're seeing, they're seeing and talking to me, but maybe not as much, but they're not having dinner with them every night. They're not, there's not that regular check-in that's happening. Um, are, are, do any families struggle with that process? Yeah, there's definitely a spectrum of um, ways in which that gets approached by families. So 
some have felt like I've done everything I need to do. This is an amazing opportunity and I'm very happy to hand this over. I'll verify, you know, through your process of what I need to see, but you know, they'll, they take that approach and other families have a really hard time. They, they want to get right down to, well, my student doesn't really like his roommate and we need to change the roommate or, you know, down to uh, calling their student. Are you getting up? Are you getting up? Are you ready? Um, so we're using those opportunities. Our advisors are often coaching. And if, you know, it can be disruptive to the students, you know, opportunity for success. If the family doesn't let go enough and have that trust and that faith. Um, so oftentimes, you know, we adjust, like when a family first comes in, we'll increase the communication during that initial orientation period. So they'll get a call on day two, and then they'll get a call on week one and week two, and then we'll um, stretch it out to every two week basis. But, you know, families call all the time, they have questions and we will work with them, but we're looking to, you know, individually again with those families help build a foundation of trust. And sometimes it's important to just get down to the concrete aspect of like, this is when we would contact you under these cases under emergencies. And then this is, you know, how the advisor and the parent relationship best works. So it's not always easy. And in some cases, in extreme cases, it's even been detrimental for the students time with us where it, they, there's just too much interference and it's not going to work. So it, it's, again, it's, it's, I think probably, um, not recognized and that probably happens in every educational institution but um, a lot with our types of families who've gone through and they've done almost everything in some cases for that student to ensure that they have the best opportunity for success and now they kind of have to back off and and let them experience some failure and you know work through it so it's not easy i'm thinking about families who are you know um they're their sons and daughters are becoming teenagers. You know, you're seeing them once they turn 18 and they're in their early 20s, things like that, uh, ages like that. What advice or, or, or what, would you, what would you suggest parents be thinking about and planning for as their, their sons and daughters are getting into their mid and upper teenage years? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, our, our students socially, emotionally are a bit behind um, than their chronological age. So it's often on the verge of, you know, you're seeing a lot of immaturity and you're seeing a lot of testing, you know, the, the boundaries. And, but I think it's very different for every family, but oftentimes what I see um, or what I would recommend to families is that they do give their student the opportunity to step out and have bigger experiences and that they show that they trust them and that they have faith in them to do that. Um, you know, obviously similar to what we do is you kind of have to curate the situation a little bit so that there's a good chance for success. You don't want to, you know, leave your student on the roadside with no money and drive away and those types of things, but you want to provide the right type of environment where they can experience the success and they could potentially experience, experience some failure. I, I don't think that failure gets as much credit as sometimes um, it should for growth. And you know, beyond that, you look at 
activities of daily living, you know, have your student be responsible for doing their laundry. You know, you can reinforce that in various ways, um, connect it to special interests, like things that motivate and drive a student, show them how the connections get made around, you know, if you want to be able to do these things, these are the things that help you get there. Um, volunteering is big, you know, putting yourself out there in new, new settings, again, in an area that you might really love and feel more likely to join into that's less pressure than say an internship or a job or a, even a social skills group. But um, I think it's just about giving opportunities and in providing safe structured settings, but sh sh probably most important, to, most important from a parenting perspective would be to show faith and trust in your child that they, that you believe in them and that you trust them and that you can take care of yourself and model that for them as well. I really appreciate what you said there that failure doesn't get enough credit for, for growth. Uh, you know, somebody once told me that um, my job as a parent isn't to make sure that my son or daughter doesn't fall off the bike. They're going to fall off a bike at some point. My job is to make sure that they have a helmet on so that it doesn't leave like long lasting uh, impact on them and, and encourage them to get back on the bike when they do fall down. Is that, I mean, that's sort of what you're describing, right? You learn a lot by making mistakes and you not having the budget the right, right, done right the first time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and resilience, you know, like reframing is opt is basically making obstacles into opportunities for success. So if you look through the lens of life that way and you say, well, if we reframe these things as positives and I can teach, I, I can model that in my student can learn to look at the opportunities that arise more so when there are issues because nothing's ever perfect ever in any case um, then they really can continually reframe things and build resilience and find a path to, through challenging times which is kind of what adulthood is right it's not it's very vague and very open and you have to you have to take some steps. Otherwise you end up in your apartment doing nothing, socially isolated. And that leads like literally to earlier, you know, mortality and mental health issues. And I think that, that not to put too much on that, but that's the fear, right? That everyone has. So resilience through that reframing process and that's often through cbt therapy so if i'm a therapist too i would definitely recommend a good therapist who understands these types of students is uh pretty critical i would say at that age as well i'm thinking about um cip has been around for 35 years plus at this point um what are some things that you guys are doing right that's led to you being around and being such a pivotal part of families lives and, and society really I think um, because we haven't been afraid to provide sort of the gold standard of what these programs can and should be like, you know, knowing that when you stream, streamline things down too much to, you know, it, it can take away some of the key aspects because we built such a comprehensive program. It's sort of unusual that it um, existed through the time that it has. 
Um, and part of the reason that that even occurred is that my father is our founder. He's a psychologist and he himself is on the autism spectrum. He's a late diagnosis uh, person on the autism spectrum. And he really focused on this program in a more personal way to build something that was really comprehensive and inclusive of, you know, the needs um, that, that are there and present. So those two elements are probably the most key and critical. And the third thing I think that helps in terms of keeping a program like CIP or any transition program, you know, evolving with the times is that it's really um, important to incorporate your students and your families in the feedback loop there. So we collect a lot of feedback from families through our surveys that we do. We do uh, focus groups with students on a regular basis. We have a student council and a leadership group and understanding, you know, the real needs of the individuals and the experiences that they're having and adapting our program and approach over time, you know, to accommodate is really key because there's tons of external stressors and issues, you know, school shootings, there's COVID, there's, you know, everything continually emerges and will. So we have to really get right down to the core of how does this affect, you know, our students primarily and how do we need to adjust on a regular basis to ensure that we're still able to, you know, be effective in what we do. It's so interesting, such a personal story. It sounds like, you know, you and your dad have really built a program that he would have loved to have at some point. It sounds like he, you know, he just built the thing that would have been great for him. And, and he learned those lessons in other ways, it sounds like. Um, but what an amazing tool this would have been for him and, and has been for multiple families. Yeah, he really did apply a lot of this to his own life and it's really made a huge difference. So he focuses on his own self-help in, in a number of ways. Um, and this was his way of doing that. So it's a, it is a funny dynamic there and it's interesting to have the family component. Um, right. But, you know, to, to be that intimate in terms of a, a person on the spectrum who has done this level of work too is I think really interesting and um, different. Dan, where can people find more about the sites? You've got sites in Massachusetts, Florida, Indiana, and California. Where can people find more about, about those sites and, and the application process to get into those programs? Yeah, we have a website that we just refreshed. It's www.cipworldwide.org. And you know, there's tons of content and resources and articles on the blog, but you can find pretty in-depth information on how the program operates in all of these areas. And um, yeah, I encourage people to, to check it out and just notify us if you have questions about any of the specifics. And I know also there's a, you know, as we're coming up into summertime, there's a summer program that you guys offer. Um, before, can you explain a little bit about that summer program and what that looks like for families? Definitely. The uh, two-week summer program is for high school age students you know, similar population with autism and learning differences. And really what it is, is uh, it's a, you know, a taste of independent living on a college campus. So it, for many, it's the first big step out. You have a roommate, you live on a college campus, uh, you're learning an introduction to a lot of what CIP's program provides. And there's a lot of social recreational opportunities. 
So you might learn, you know, skills in, through modules um, in the morning and you're participating, you know, in fun social activities as part of a group in the evening. Uh, the person-centered planning piece is a big part of that too. So for families, you know, your student gets to step out. Um, just like we talked about the importance of finding a safe setting and taking some risks. And the student, you know, usually gains a ton of self-confidence having had completed the program, made some friends, uh, has a better sense of their future and what they want to do. Um, and it, you know, those are on college campuses that nearby each of our five locations. So Indiana University, UC Berkeley, FIT, um, Bard College, Simons Rock here, and Long Beach State University, Cal State Long Beach. That's great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time and, and sharing more about your program. I'm so impressed with what you guys have built and, and how you're supporting a, a part of the population that really, really needs it. There's, you know, I think we've talked about this before on the show, there really is a lack of supports uh, for this age group. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled that we get to hear more about what it is out there and share with the families um, and those providers in the area. So, so thanks for being on this week. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for everything you're doing as well. I hope you found that conversation useful and insightful with Dan. Uh, there was some key information that he that stood out to me both during our conversation and afterwards. Uh, afterwards, he shared with us that half the students that come to CIP have had a uh, failed college experience. And that just really shook me. And I think it's something that parents have to always consider this balance of finding growth opportunities, but making sure we are setting up our students for success. Um, also kind of balancing, you know, what can our our students do independently and what can they do with support and how do we juggle all of those things it's just such a hard a hard dynamic as our students are transitioning from high school where they get a lot of support into the adult world where there may be less. Um, I do I do want to encourage people to be planning and thinking about uh, three to five years ahead, that was something that Dan also highlighted. It's really important for us to be planning a little bit ahead so we can start practicing now and finding those resources. We talked about there aren't a ton of resources out there, but there are some and there are some really successful programs that can help our students transition from high school into the adult world successfully. And I encourage families to go and find those. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Therapies. And if you have a show suggestion or other feedback for us, please send us an email at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com. And feel free to subscribe and rate us and give us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care, be safe. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.